0: Why have you all gone
1: quiet? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah, I thought you were going to introduce
0: us. That's what no, I thought. I'll introduce you at some point, but um, okay. you know, no rush. Just no en- rush.
1: enjoying the soporific sound of your voice. Yeah, 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 it
0: was
2: very
1: soothing.
0: All right. Thank you. Well, this is what it's like when we're all in the pub. Um, so I thought I'd, thought I'd bring in, you know, we've not got any clattering or banging in the background or anybody pushing into you or anything like that by the way i do like that alien poster behind you
3: yeah, very yeah, nice. it's good.
0: very nice um so we haven't done this for a while obviously because of various reasons um covid and kevin's liver um yeah so you know it's good to good to see people back so i can see you all on my screen so we'll we'll introduce you so i'm going to start on my left kevin what's your name tell us about um, you
3: I'm Kevin Markwick, the owner of The Picture House in Uckfield. Uh, Nothing to do with them. Cinema of the Year 2018. Uh, One of the most successful independent cinemas in the UK.
0: And
3: desperate to get back on the 17th of May,
0: please. Cinema of the Year. God, we're never going (laughs) to live that now. It's going to be on every podcast going going forward, that one.
3: Until Uh, I win it again.
0: And uh, next on my screen, I have Jan. Now, Jan is very special because he's the first guest that we've ever had back. So you must have done something right last time. <laughs>
2: Ooh, that was yeah, a swearing card, was me. it? Was that what brought part, me back? Yeah. yeah, my name is uh, uh, Jan Rasmussen. <laughs> I'm head of screen technology with Nordisk Film Cinemas. And I'm I'm like approximately... 40 years in the cinema business at this point, including my early years as uh, selling candy in the local cinema.
0: 40 years? Did you start as a sperm or something? Because you don't look like you could last I that long. I was
2: like, I was 14 when I started selling candy in the local cinema. Wow.
0: Wow. Okay, next um, is. Um, tony on my screen but she's in a bit of a fit of laughter now
1: she's, Sorry. She's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, i think you should move on for a minute
0: okay we'll go to our other <laughs> special guest we'll go to our other special guest um we have another special guest called mike mike what's your full name and where do you come from
4: uh, my name is uh, mike babb and i work for trinoff audio as my day job and I also have a company in the U.S. doing cinema service and film festivals and that sort of thing. So a little bit working in both worlds. And uh, I also started uh, around uh, sperm age 14. (laughs) And being uh, 54, (laughs) we're probably in about the same boat as far as 40 years.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So you're the one. Do you work with people like Ian Thomas and people like that on premieres and stuff like that?
4: Uh, if you know what Ian does, I would be doing exactly the same thing for CinemaCon, Sundance, Tribeca, that kind of thing, Right, uh, pr- premieres, screenings, and I also have uh, all of my kids work for me. So my son is a cinema engineer, my daughter's a cinema engineer, my other daughter's a cinema engineer, and so we've got about uh, five people working for me in the U.S., and we all you know, do tally, tally ride and uh, pretty much all the major film festivals. Cool,
0: cool. So if they if they uh don't perform very well, you basically just take it out on them by not buying them very good Christmas presents.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it's been an interesting year as as you guys all know, but uh, it pretty much put all my kids out of business uh, ah. because there was no film festival work, and uh, you know, I luck luckily I had Trinoff to fall back on myself, but I haven't done a film festival since Palm Springs about a year and three months ago. Oh no way.
2: So, you actually got to do what the rest of us dream of? You fired your own children?
4: No. <laughs> uh, just uh, just stopped talking to him for a while, and uh, now now we're talking again.
3: <laughs> just didn't answer their call.
0: Yeah.
4: Okay, so I, th- I think Tony has composed herself
0: now. Um, so, Tony. I
1: have. I have. Um, well, I was waiting for another um, sperm joke. Based on the fact that Mike's kids work for him. Um, <laughs> cool there
2: that.
3: we go.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I'm Tony. You will probably still know me from my monotonous voice from the last number of podcasts. Uh, I am still working for Amblin Partners. Thank you, Amblin. Um, yeah, that's about it. Currently in the West Midlands of the UK. Rock and roll.
0: Cool, cool. Okay. Um, so, as I say, we haven't done this for a, a long time uh we are part of the um c t c the um contracting tile consultants um which we we really really need to push on um so let's crack on with some topics um one of the one of the things we always get asked to do more of is things about sound uh so I'm going to jump straight in on something I'm particularly interested in which is Making the sound better in a room.
4: Um,
0: so if we've got a really bad auditorium that's got really hard walls or really, you know, it's not a box, uh, it's kind of different shapes and sizes and we've got all kind of pillars and things like that or, you know, anything really that is that, that ruins the acoustics. If you've got um, like a screen with a huge void behind it and things like that, uh, how can we how can we make the sound better in something like that? Uh, and I'm sorry, but obviously I'm going to go to Mike uh, on that <laughs> one first.
3: Yeah, first. I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to learning how, how you do it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, I have to be a little careful about turning it into an advertisement for the company. So you'll have to uh, give me the what? safe word or something if I go too far. But... I mean, it is what I've been doing for the past five years is going around uh, recalibrating rooms. And I would say probably the most important part is just taking into account very precise measurements and the time domain in addition to the frequency domain. So, um, you know, we've basically go into a room, take some good measurements uh, of the arrival time of the speakers. It also affects the aiming of the speakers so that we don't have sound bouncing all around the room. And by time aligning it, we make them all arrive at your ears at the same time. And there's quite a lot of benefits in cleaning up the dialogue with doing this sort of thing. Um, I don't know if anybody on here, maybe Mike, you you may remember we did uh, one of the Odeons, mm-hmm. so, but it wasn't a particularly horrible room. So no. we did make an, an improvement in that room according to the people that heard it. Yeah. Uh, but it really was just mostly about time alignment in that room. And so that's kind of uh, what I would recommend. But I would also say to you that uh, you have to take care of the acoustics if you can. If you can do anything, whether it's historically uh, listed or not, there may be some things you can do, like, for example, carpet a stage or hang some drape behind the screen behind the speakers to absorb some of that sound. and. You know, by doing film festivals, we get a lot of these same problems uh, by doing temporary venues, things like that. So,
0: Cool. So for the uninitiated, particularly our chairman, um, what do you mean by um, timing?
4: Well, uh, starting with the individual speaker, you have a low frequency and a high frequency. To kind of oversimplify, you want them to arrive at your ears at the same time and by arriving at your ears at the same time, you get the least amount of frequency dip at the crossover.
0: And do they, not already, do, they, do they not already arrive at your ears at the same time?
4: Well, if they're different physical distances, they won't arrive at your ears at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have programmed in manufacturer's delays numbers, I would argue, um, and it's an entirely separate debate, that that speaker would have to be placed perfectly for those things to arrive at your ear at the same time. And uh, furthermore, matching that same thing between the left, the center and the right speaker and having each of those lows and highs arrive at your ears at the same time would be pretty close to impossible to, to say that they do now. So what I would say to you is most rooms, uh, in fairness to all the other manufacturers are not time aligned in cinema. Mm-hmm. And so if you do the time alignment, uh, I would say in most rooms, you'll get an immediate benefit just by doing that.
0: Absolutely. And with time alignment, is that linked in with the delay on the surrounds and things like that?
4: Yeah, well, so you're you're first uh, delaying uh, either the high or the low frequency to make the individual speaker perfect mm-hmm. uh, at the reference point, by the way. Uh, And then you're delaying the left, the center, the right, and the subwoofer to make all the screen channels arrive at your ears at the same time. And then you have the four surround zones. Now, normally there's just one global surround delay, but we're actually measuring them individually so that all four surround zones arrive at your ears at the same time. And then we create uh, a global delay to uh, postpone that slightly so that people in the rows behind the reference point are not hearing the surrounds first.
0: Cool. So, when when you're, I'm just curious because, you know, if you I've heard of single mics and multi mic setups when it comes to EQing. Now, I assume that you're using one mic in the middle of the room to determine whether it's a, a coming at that. Pretend the mic's got ears. Well, I suppose it has got ears. um But you know, that is the point that you're saying it needs to hit the mic at the same time. Is that one mic or is that more than one mic?
4: The reference mic is for time alignment, and then we usually have between three and uh, maybe as many as eight mics total for uh, equalization. Uh, We also measure phase and impulse response and do some correction there. And you know, some of it's special sauce, and I won't get too deeply into it, partly because I don't understand everything that's going on in the algorithms. But the idea is, uh, you know, we've got some really smart R&D guys in Paris that uh, work their magic on the measurements. But one of the most important things in the measurement that we take is we're measuring the speaker at the arrival of the mic, which means the pure sound of the speaker at the microphone. And then we're also measuring what happens after it passes the microphone and bounces off the walls and comes back. And so uh, as an example, when you're talking about a very reverberant room, if you're trying to connect or correct using an RTA, You're measuring the room response, but you're not measuring the direct response. And so you can be thrown off trying to correct things that can't be corrected in the room. And so for us, we use the direct sound as kind of like a control measurement to let us know what's really something we can correct and what's something that we really shouldn't try and can't correct.
3: Hmm. Can I ask, is this something that... um... Is going to be most effective in large rooms as opposed to small rooms. I mean, are we talking about you know in a small room? How can you can you um, make those kind of adjustments in a small room? Uh,
4: In a small room, it could be even more important because the uh, angles and distances become more exaggerated. But just as importantly, the base frequencies get you know with really long wavelengths, they create a lot of problems and a lot of trouble. I don't know how much anybody would know about Trinoff, but our our DNA is in high-end home cinema as well. Uh, and you know, we're talking about like million dollar theaters. but recently, I can't probably talk about it unfortunately, but we did a, a demonstration of our processor in a very small room, like a five five seat room, and made a significant improvement in that room and and the owners clearly heard the difference between what was there before and what was there when we were done. And it was all really time alignment mm. it's okay i don't mind you talking about it <laughs> well uh, <laughs> yeah i think uh if, if i don't uh, wear out my welcome i'll uh, i'll tell you at a future podcast <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, i mean uh jan have you had any experiences with this i'm i'm sure you have i know your a lot of your rooms are already very good acoustically but there must be a few that are a bit weird yeah
2: i mean i would say that the if you're talking about a room, before putting any money into whatever upgrades or whatever sound equipment you put in, we would normally invest in the acoustics first because money spent on speakers and amplifiers. But if you don't do the acoustics, it's not mm-hmm. money spent particularly well because it's there's a limit to how well you can do it if you don't fix the acoustics. I mean, even if it's just like small bafflets so that you put around the front speakers behind the screen, which help a lot. Um, but but other than that, yeah, we have some of these rooms. They're difficult. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the difficulty actually beyond just doing time alignment and the equalization is um, getting. Um, if you have like a, a multiplex with ten different rooms and two or three of them are the, like these really small, difficult rooms with hard surfaces, or it it might be very long and narrow, which is super difficult to do. Then one of the things that got really troublesome is loudness because it's super difficult to to automate and and schedule uh, a sound level that is uniform between all the rooms because these smaller, more difficult rooms behave differently when it comes to loudness. Um, so that's that's one of the things that we've struggled with, and we usually actually sort of do like an, a subjective decision on it when we do the um, when we do the levels after the equalization. Say okay, we're gonna like it's not gonna be 85 dB. It's gonna be maybe 84 or three and a half, because that way, subjectively, it sounds the same level as in the bigger room next to it. So that helps when you do the automation in a multiplex, uh, that that you, if you have a level on a movie or a trailer or whatever, it, it fits in all the rooms as well as possible. Um, we have um, we have a lot of data set but, um, processes that we bought back almost 10 years ago now, I guess. So those uh, use the, the direct live uh, auto EQ system. And that's been quite good, actually. Uh, I mean, particularly for, 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 for those rooms that are not easy to do, it, the result is often very very good. Particularly for for um, for under, I mean, for the dialogue, because that that becomes very clear and relaxed and natural when you use that. So that's that's certainly one way of solving it. Hmm. But I guess it's also about choosing the right speakers for the room. I mean, because it's you you want things to be proportionally right. Um, if you have a room that's difficult, you don't want to put in speakers or, or equipment that's a little bit underpowered or a little bit that's not big enough because then you have to stress the equipment and that stresses the sound you get in the room as well. So you kind of need to be careful with what you put into it. Hmm.
3: That was going to be a question of mine is it what, I mean, just talking in broad terms what are the differences we're going to hear with an accurately time-aligned theater that we wouldn't in one that isn't, you know, are we talking dialogue? Are we talking about tighter base? Are we talking about better separation? What, what, what is it that it it does for us?
4: I would say dialogue clarity is probably the thing that we get most often complimented on. Mm -hmm. Uh, In addition, uh, like when things pan across the screen, if the arrival time of the screen channels is the same, when things pan across the screen, you'll get a much smoother pan. Uh, you'll get more impact. Like if there's an explosion or a gunshot from the screen, all of the speakers and subwoofer working at the same time, you'll get that impact, but just as importantly, it'll go away at the same time. So it's a more precise base. It's more precise impact. And also, you know, with time aligning the surrounds, especially in the middle of the auditorium, you get a much more immersive feeling because the surrounds are all working together in arrival time. And so you can actually get the perception that they're maybe a little louder than you used to, even though you measured them there at 82 dB. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I
2: think one thing so I, you, when the room is done really well in, in that, sorry, <clears throat> is that, that um that you get a sense of of the screen speakers being um, more separated, you get a sense of the room being more three-dimensional when you're listening to the to the front speakers. Because otherwise, if they if they're not time aligned right, it sounds like one speaker behind the screen, and you do not get yeah. sort of the, the breadth of the uh, of the sound image unless they're time aligned correctly.
4: Yeah, one thing. Uh, I mean, I did some averaging at one point, and uh, I'm averaged that the screen speakers, uh, the center channel is on average about two feet closer to the center reference point than the left and right on average across like 25 rooms that I measured. Now curved screen will change that somewhat, but generally that's what I found. And that means that the center channel speaker is going to arrive at your ears before the left and the right. And so, especially if the subwoofer is in the center of the room as well, the whole mix can sound center heavy, but Jan is completely correct. What happens is you get the sensation that the screen just got wider. And also if you're doing it right, The speakers themselves will disappear and you'll hear things between the left and center or between the center and the right. Or you can even hear them moving across the wall from the left to the left surround in spaces where there are no speakers. And so, you know, I mean, I I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, the earlier data set stuff is what I was installing before I came to work for Trinoff and became familiar with that equipment. And it's quite good equipment. And, you know, what I would also say is, you know, you have the skill of the engineer as one factor, you have the quality of the equipment as another factor, you have the acoustics of the room as another factor. And if you want a really well done room, you have to get them all right. Um, But I would just say when you're talking about rooms, I feel like that time alignment and good measurements is the thing that can make that difference. A good engineer can also bring it up, lift it up a little bit. But neither the good engineer nor the equipment can fix the acoustics of a room. They just can't. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So other than the timing, is there anything else when you go into a room and you're setting up a premiere or a special screening or something like that? Is there anything that is more often than not wrong?
4: Uh, I mean, you name it, we find stuff wrong all over the place. Uh, Speaker's not working, amplifier's not working. You know, if if it's a room that does premieres like, you know, in Leicester Square, they'll be dialed in pretty tight. But for example, a film festival, I can not name the venue, but we'll have like eight screens at a venue for a certain film festival. And every year we go in, we find a list of 40 problems that we have to fix in three days before the film festival starts. And ultimately, that cinema is relying on our company to come in and do their yearly maintenance. And sure enough, it happens. But, you know, I would say, in general, maintenance is not being done well enough for cinemas. And uh, it's, it's really, it's really going to show, uh, as we move forward out of COVID, we really need to give people a reason to come back. And if people come back and find that it's not as good as what they've been experiencing in their homes, we're all in trouble. And it doesn't matter what company you work for or what cinema you work for. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a global problem.
0: Yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. Although there is a question around what do people have in their homes um, <laughs> as well. So
2: depends on how rich your friends are. <laughs> yeah, if we can, if we can make our
3: cinemas uh, as good as a sound bar, you know, we'll be uh, we'll be cooking with gas, won't we? <laughs> Sorry, that
4: was a bit
3: that was a bit glib, wasn't it? Sorry.
4: I have a four meter square room with a a lot of really good equipment. You might imagine I get a good price on. So I'm pretty happy with my sound, but I have to say this. uh, There's nothing that compares to a a commercial cinema that's done right. Um, If you go into commercial cinema, it's a matter of big, uh, big screen, big subwoofers, uh, you know, big space that's being filled. And, and, you know, from a technical point of view, there's still no comparison, no matter how well you do a home.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm So what you're basically saying is get it properly equalized and properly set up in the first place and keep it maintained as best as you possibly can.
4: Yeah, if you meet all the specs of what cinema is supposed to be, uh, you're going to impress your guests yeah. and you can take it to the next level with something like Atmos or 3d or some of those things an LED cinema screen. but ultimately what I feel is if the movie's good, You shouldn't be thinking about whether it's an Atmos presentation or whether it's an LED cinema screen. You should forget about the technology. You should be able to enjoy the film.
3: That's what my dad taught me. Yeah.
4: uh,
3: Yeah. Our job is to be invisible. That's our job. No one should notice that we're there.
4: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, the biggest thing we can uh, hear at a film festival is not a single you know, compliment or complain, just an audience that's very happy and the technical people don't get any credit, but they don't get any blame. And that's because they did it right.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's a film festival, which is more, more often than not set in a cinema environment. Are you, do you struggle sometimes when you're doing things like cinema con or anything like that, where it's not in a normal cinema environment and you have to create a cinema environment?
4: Uh, well, I mean, we move a lot of equipment, um, you know, a lot of temporary venues. And, you know, it's always the, the goal is always the specs. Uh, you know, quite often we'll have somebody from Dolby in the bigger, bigger film festivals and their expectations are always the same as what they would have in a, in a poor room. Now, obviously, you, um, you certainly uh, will have some variables that you have to accommodate for. If you have a projector that's not hitting 14 foot lamberts and you can't swap it before the show, then, you know, maybe that's what you have to live with. But the goal is to have the right equipment in, the right sound system in to achieve all the proper levels of light and sound and make it as good as you can possibly make it, but not necessarily the goal isn't to make it louder or brighter. It's it's to hit the specs because the filmmakers make their films to those specs. Mm.
2: Have you ever done that auditorium in Barcelona where they do Cine
4: Europe? I did do it one year. I worked with Ian and I was mostly doing the projection and the operation, calibration, that kind of thing. The colonic guys are are mainly hands-on with that. Um, I don't remember what year it was, was maybe 2015 or something like that. And I do CinemaCon every year, about maybe 12 years in a row now. Uh, It's it's kind of a completely different animal, Barcelona versus... uh, CinemaCon, uh, but the goal is the same, really.
2: It's just that I get a headache from most of the presentations in that room in in Barcelona because it it gets super aggressive.
4: Yeah, well, what I will tell you about that is the trailers, um, it's not going to surprise anybody, are mixed differently than the feature films. And mostly at shows like that, you're watching uh, trailers, and uh, they're trying to get your attention, to put it bluntly. Yeah, so but some they, of the feature were, films are
2: quite loud and, and harsh.
4: Yeah, they're mixed around. But
2: it's, it's all.
3: Uh. I was going to say, do they not give you a trailer that's kind of mixed properly, unlike the ones that go out to cinemas? I mean, <laughs> we have to put on, you know, we have three sound settings: we have adverts, trailers, feature, you know. Because you can't run a trailer at full performance volume, because all their hair would, you know, all their wigs would come off and be stuck on the back wall. <laughs> their teeth yeah, are- I
4: mean, in in my opinion, whether it's CinemaCon, in Cine Europe, or anywhere else, the the features usually have a better baseline mix than, than the trailers. And if anything, the trailers tend to be a little bit aggressive in sound levels and frequency. And usually, they're trying to shake the hell out of the room with a subwoofer as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's just a different thing. They've got two or three minutes of your time, and they're going to try and uh, keep your attention by uh, so slapping. It... Go ahead.
3: Would it be true then that they, they the, the trailers and things are compressed like that because they know buggers like me turn it down? So they keep going <coughs> to compress them so that they sound, sound louder.
4: Uh, you guys must have had this discussion in the past, I would imagine. But oh. the idea is you know the the dolby guy comes in and calibrates it for 7 and then no, the cinema owner doing. then the cinema <laughs> owner turns it down to 5 or 6 because their guests complain because the trailers are too loud and then the trailer guys know it's going to be turned down to 4 or 5 so they mix them a little bit hotter and it's just mm. that that cycle where everybody in the entire industry knows the trailers are too loud it's not news to anybody it would be a surprise if you heard one that was okay and, you know, it's just, uh, it's an it's ongoing interesting. problem.
2: We, we did a test on that some years back because for the Norwegian cinema conference, both Julian Pinn and I did some stuff about loudness in cinema. And we so we took a number of, of trailers that we had on the TMSs in Denmark and we ran them through uh, measurements to find out what EQ levels they came out at. And interestingly, actually <clears throat> the ones that were, generally mixed too high with the European ones. The American ones were actually all of them within the specifications uh, currently set for the LQ settings. Most of them would still be too loud because of the the nature of the trailer, but the European ones were actually worse, and that's because the European sound editors at one point said, oh, it's it's terrible, because the Americans are always so much louder and nobody gives attention to our movies, and they just kept cranking up the European movies, uh, movie trailers, which is like... Really annoying. Um, but, but this is one of my pet peeves. Everybody that, I mean, most people, either you have a TMS or you're running single screen. If you're running single screen, this shouldn't be an issue. If you're running a TMS, it shouldn't be an issue either. You can program the sound level for every single trailer you play back. If you don't do it, you're lazy and you're not doing the job properly. I'm sorry, but that's my opinion. And we forced the projectionists in Denmark to do this. We set up a full scheme for them and they are now forced to listen through all the trailers, set a level for every single cinema so that so that every trailer is played back at the correct level because there's no other way to do it if you want to do it right. And I mean, this is like the 21st century. Defi- you can do I've, stuff like that.
1: I've definitely brought this up before, but once digital um, first came in, I was a technical manager at a few Odeons and my team had to watch not only every single trailer and have the audio uh, adjusted accordingly but they had to watch every single advert to make oh. sure that the audio was adjusted accordingly and it was a long process and it, it you know i think now they do audios uh, they do adverts in packages rather than individual mm. um at individual assets so it's it, you can't do it that way anymore so much for the adverts but um yeah, it was very time consuming. And I think that with all of the challenges that are going on amongst many sites across the world uh, with staff shortages and just general not a lot of money, that, you know, your, your sites clearly still continue to do this, which is great. But I don't think everyone has the resource to, um, to do that. So you do have, you know, just a standard 5.0 for your trailers or whatever.
3: Mm. And you have to work quite hard, obviously, to make sure that every different auditorium has the same sound level
2: but that's the whole point of it that's that's what I mean. that's what we worked very hard over for the past few years to make sure that subjectively the experience of the sound levels is uniform throughout the cinemas so it's a centralized centralized job done it doesn't it's one guy doing spending one hour a week on the new trailers coming in programming the levels and they're all set and it's all good to go It's it's not that time consuming actually it's just about doing it right really Sorry, it's just a it's a big thing because.
1: God. I mean, i I am talking I, about I am talking about like six years ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure, 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 sure.
4: I applaud anyone that's doing that. So, <laughs> anyone that's setting the levels by trailer is a really great thing. But I would say, on average across the industry, you're kind of lucky if you get uh, just a globally one to one and a half fader points down on, on the trailers by the automation, and um, maybe that'll get you in the ballpark of having it played correctly. Mm. Yeah. But it yeah. sprung from but the it's...
2: fact that every single time I went to one of our cinemas and, and listened to to whatever was going on, the loudness, it was just the level was too low. I just hate going to the movie when the level is too low. I just it was just a, so infuriating. So we did this to make sure that we did not play everything back at too low a level because it was just like the lowest common denominator that set the level.
3: But that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because there's there's a level that you can hear but it's still too low. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a, you know, that used to be a frustration for me as I was, you know, growing up and dealing with other projectionists. I'd say I'd, I'm going back to Westar valve days here. So forgive me. But, you know, I'd say, I'd say, uh, I'd say to the projectionist, it's not loud enough. And he say, well, it's on six. And going, it's, not <laughs> the point. it's still not loud enough. And there's yeah. that a lot of, I've, I've noticed in a lot of cinemas of big chains. Sorry, everyone. Uh, of not 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 represented here Um definitely not represented here Um where it technically is you're able to hear it but as soon as someone coughs or rustles a sweet paper it, it completely obliterates the sound so the only way that that works is if everyone sits absolutely still and it's absolutely quiet which is so frustrating sorry I well, sort of Rambling at, on there
1: a bit. Luckily now, no one's allowed to cough in the cinema, so that's no. fine. No, 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 it's, it's
2: completely shut down. We did we did actually an interesting test. I'm sorry if I'm rambling. You just have to cut me off if I'm rambling. But we did an interesting test because the, the cinema managers in our chains kept complaining and saying the loudest it is too loud. Everything is too loud. So And so did the projectionists at one point because they got the complaints back from the cinema manager. So we did this thing where I did a, like a training course for people. We talked to them about how sound works. Um and explained about surround channels, all that stuff. Then we did we took a trailer, that was the uh, uh Bohemian Rhapsody trailer, we played it back at level four or something like that. Um and then afterwards we played it back at level six or six and a half. And then we asked everybody that'd been listening to the stuff we've been talking about why um what did, we, what did we turn off the first time? And they said the surrounds and the uh, subwoofers and uh, maybe yep. even the, yep. uh, the, the uh, high frequencies. Everything else was turned off. No, it wasn't. It was just the sound level. The thing is, if it's too low, you can't actually hear what's going on. Sound really.
3: was too low. No, that's right. Yeah. Exactly right. That's exactly what I did, did, did with my guys. I say, well, look, listen, that's loud enough, isn't it? Well, yeah, I suppose it is. Now I'm going to go to seven. Oh Christ! It comes alive. Look at that. You can hear the surrounds. You can hear. You know, it totally comes alive in a different way. And that. And that. And that. Yeah. No. Absolutely. But shortly Then going back to Mike. Presumably, if we if we EQ properly and time align properly, we can actually safely go to seven with my mu- with f- m- fewer complaints. Would you say that would be right?
4: Uh, content dependent. I would say yes, with one exception. Uh, And this goes back to what Jan was saying. A lot of times uh, you can have something that's playing on Fader 7 and um, theoretically EQ'd properly, but because of some more technical errors you can make in the EQing process with third octave EQ and, and RTA, you can actually end up with something that's too harsh and too aggressive. And what I find is that when people complain that it's too loud, they don't necessarily mean it's too loud in volume but that it's hurting their ears from either high or upper-mid frequencies. And uh, this is an error that can be made with an RTA uh, trying to push frequencies or making speakers do what they don't want to do or not capable of doing, and they will punish you for it by putting out harshness. And so Mm. I I quite often say when people complain it's too loud, they mean it's harsh or aggressive.
3: Which is why we tend to get um, complaints.
2: So can we insult people here? Because that that what you described there is exactly what, to me at least, IMAX used to sound like. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> no, but we tend to find that it's 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 the older audience that complain about that kind of thing, and that's because their ears are responding slightly differently to younger people. I think.
4: And at least in the US, they're there the first show of the day, so it gets turned down and stays that way the rest and of the day. Stay, right?
3: Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm unap- unapologetic, but I go, no, that's the way the director intended you to hear it. I need <laughs> my cinema.
0: <laughs> yeah, especially especially if it's Tenet, Although I don't yeah, want to, I don't want to get in. I don't want to get into that one today.
3: I'll be here all day. Mm. I, wish
4: it, I wish it was that clear. <laughs> yeah but um, i made a special i made a special trip to barnsley for tenant and uh in the end it sounded pretty good but wow. uh, not not at not as calibrated
3: yeah no yeah. we found it different in different theaters which confused me slightly i have to say on the um on the uh um qscs actually were, were actually much more intelligible than the other speakers that we've got in various it is. I don't know yeah I mean that that's not the most scientific thing I've ever said in my life but there you go
0: other amplifiers are available <laughs> yeah. um one question that annoys me Um. Sometimes I'll go into a cinema, not a premiere or a special screening or anything like that, and I'll go in and I'll say, this doesn't sound that great, and I'll go in and I'll find out that they've done an auto-EQ. Um, and it's um, very, very basic and, you know, it just sounds really poor. Not not, not like crazy, you know, a layman would complain poor, but you know it should sound a lot better than it does. Um so why, why do we see that? Why do we see a lot of auto EQs? And is it better to have an auto EQ or just leave it as a flat EQ?
4: I would leave it flat. And I would also say that, I mean, auto EQ is a time-saving thing. So if you don't have time to do it right, then maybe you don't want it right at all. Uh, now, I will say, you know, again, getting back to what I know, which is the product that I'm dealing with, uh, we have a what's called a wizard, which is a step-by-step process, which takes those precise measurements that I was telling you earlier, and ultimately you get to the end and you have something that, in my opinion, that is as good or better than anyone is going to do in, say, an hour's time, but with the added benefit of some of the time and phase correction. Uh, so, what happens with auto EQ is uh, somebody's just basically saying, "Well, we don't really have the time." To spend on this. And so if the auto EQ is not as good as the engineer could do if they took the time, then it's not worth using at all. I think most of them just invert what they measure and then push the sliders up or down to approximate the x-curve. And that leaves a lot of correction on the table. And usually I would say over-corrects rather than undercorrects.
3: Can you define auto EQ? How are you talking about are you talking about a re- an EQ within the equipment in the rack that's doing it automatically? Or are you talking about just going into a room with a bit of kit that automatically EQs it?
4: Well, I mean, uh, effectively, Dirac is, a, is kind oh. of an auto EQ. Okay. Uh, I don't have a ton of experience. It does a better job than, say, some other brands with auto EQ, where they take an RTA third octave measurement and essentially invert it with uh, third octave sliders to get what should be a flat response. Uh, you know, it's just never really been done that well. And also, you have to remember when you're using third octave sliders, you're fit, you're twisting the phase. And if you go any more than, say, 2 or 3 dB in either direction, uh, you're starting to do things that the speakers don't want to do. You can be correcting things that you're measuring that aren't really the case in the room. It's so what I was explaining earlier, I bought direct sound and room response if you're correcting room response, you may be turning your low frequency down when you shouldn't and you may be turning your high frequency up when you shouldn't. And the bigger the room, the more that becomes a factor. So, uh, you know, there's a variable X curve uh, for bigger rooms but a lot of people don't know that or use that. And so ultimately they end up turning up the high frequency and making the problem that I was explaining earlier about it being harsh or aggressive. And also turning down their low frequency when they really shouldn't.
0: Yeah. So if you're in a rush and you, you've not got the time, it's best. It's best to just leave it flat rather than do it as an auto EQ. Uh
4: Well, I would say if you don't have the time to do it right, then maybe you shouldn't be opening your cinema. But. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, well, that's that's my, my honest opinion. Is uh, if you don't, I mean, you know, it's like. Uh, you know, popping the popcorn half the way and serving kernels. You know, I, I mean, what what's the point really if you're not going to do it right?
0: No, but sometimes it's. I mean, we all remember. Occasionally, we used to have to run a show in bypass, you know, just to get you through a show because you know there was a problem. So yeah, you know, the end of the day, end of the day, the show must go on whether you've got time to do an EQ or not. Um, yeah. So I'm just trying to trying to determine, you know, whether people should leave it flat or we'll try and auto-EQ and what, what, in your opinion, is the, is the best one knowing that both are not good?
4: I would, I would personally not use uh, auto-EQ as we do it in the past. Uh, Dirac, for example, takes a little more time uh, and it maybe is going to do a better job than another type of auto-EQ. But if you don't have time to do a, a traditional EQ, you probably don't have time to do a Dirac EQ either. Uh, now, I can tell you from personal experience, I've done on opening day, I've done seven calibrations in seven rooms on opening day because the screens went up the, the morning of opening day. Uh, so I have knocked it out in in less than an hour a room. But if if people didn't give me an hour a room, what I might do is I might go through with an R, or with an SBL meter and just set the levels and listen to something and if I had the time to make a few extra tweaks, I might do that. But I think uh, traditionally the stuff that I've seen in the past, you're probably doing more harm than good uh, trying to uh, let that happen with a single mic and auto EQ.
0: Amen. Amen. Now, for just to say we are not at all – we are not advocating doing um, any form of auto or flat EQ. We, we're talking in emergency scenarios.
2: Right, so it's, yeah, because I don't see any scenario where we use it actually. Hopefully not. But uh, Dolby is using uh, auto EQ uh, in in Dolby Atmos. That's a very expensive uh, auto EQ system you buy when you get uh, Dolby Atmos. Um, but they also do phase correction and all kinds, or you're supposed to do phase correction and all kinds of other things and, and time alignment when you do it. But they do use uh, um, auto um, EQ in the um, Dolby Atmos process.
4: Yeah, I think uh, I did the training on that, like when it first came out six or seven years ago before I worked with Trinoff. So I don't have enough more recent information, but uh, I've heard time aligned Atmos systems that sounded beautiful. Um, and I've heard some really good ones and I've heard some that didn't sound quite as good. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's a matter of consistency and time. Uh, if you've got a full day to do any room then it should sound beautiful when you're done. There's no excuse for it. If what uh, Mike is saying, where you just have an emergency situation, I'll give you an example. We were on a cruise ship setting up for a film festival and we got the room basically put together about an hour before showtime and about 30 minutes before doors. And we just set the levels um, with with a SPL meter and a guy behind the screen just adjusting the amps. We didn't even touch the processor at all. And then we listened to it and we went back the next morning and tweaked it. But it actually didn't sound so much better when we got done tweaking it than what we did by ear in 15 minutes. So, you know, I was working with a friend of mine who's got a really, really good ear and we trust each other to get it done in in a 15 minute span. And you're going to get pretty close with with, you know, his ear and uh, me on the controls, you know, talking. So.
3: That was going to be one of my points is that, you know, I can be sitting next to somebody and they think, oh, that sounds great. And I'm thinking, I don't like the sound of that at all. So there is an element of um, subjectivity or or can we not allow for subjectivity when we're EQing a room?
4: Well, you shouldn't really in a way. But uh, if you look at any document, you have to start with the specs and then at all of the documents say, use your ears, listen to it. But, uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many engineers I've seen do an EQ to the X curve and walk away without listening to it. Um, And that's more in the commercial cinemas, not in the film festivals. That would never happen. But uh, I know multiplexes where somebody goes through and does a 20plex and you could ask how it sounded and they don't know because they didn't listen.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to pause there because I need a page. we're back uh just thought we'd go take a trip to the bar um Mm -hmm. so we're back now all refreshed um so let's go on to the next topic um we've done sound mostly to death but i'm sure we'll come back to it because there's always something good to say um was that a joke to death (laughs) to death no i said to death i'm not from london i say death (laughs) (laughs) um Okay, so the next one's called "Coming Back to Life." Um, you know, let's let's think about uh, all of this poor equipment that's been switched off. Hopefully, not switched off, um, but switched off or not quite running the way it's intended over the winter months. Um, and we're coming back to discover cinemas have um, got some problems. Um, you know what? What are we? What are we? recommending what are we saying you should be doing what are we going to find anybody did you did you wrap your projectors in cotton wool Kevin
3: no I've been going in every sort of 10-14 days and just running things through really Mm -hmm. although obviously we can't the one thing we can't check is um, the encryption and everything because there's nothing with any uh, any keys on it
0: oh Uh, you can you can um, yeah. yeah, MPS did a the thing They created the uh, yeah. a little thing and, and you got keys with it as well So you is the can key still put the yeah. oh, it is. They, okay. they purposely made the keys Something like two years long So that oh. you could, they wouldn't run out
3: um, But yeah That's really all you can do Isn't it, it's just go in and run them every week Or two weeks um, And run them through and you turn them on And you go, yeah there you go And then turn them off again um, it's the rest of the building actually that probably suffers more. I mean I turned a tap on in the kiosk the other day and brown sludge came out. You know, it's it's not just it's not just the projectors or the sound, it's the whole damn building needs to be go around and flush the blues.
0: Was it like a scene out of the money pit?
3: Yeah, you know, because it buildings do not like not being used. They just yeah. don't like it. Um, but in terms of projection equipment, I'm not sure what else I can do other than warm it up every so often, and then go back every couple of weeks. Don't know what else to suggest to people. Really, I mean, clean everything, you know, dust everything. Um, I'm assuming you're doing the same, Mike. I don't know. Are you? Are you have you got a program of going in and running stuff? You know, for the local local people running. Yeah. It?
0: Yeah, I mean, we've been asking managers that have been going in, you know, the regional managers that have been going on periodically to, you know, switch things on, make sure things are working. But hmm. you're bound to inevitably get some that are not quite the same when you go back in. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, more about maybe, you know, some of the cinemas that have literally been locked down for ages.
3: Yeah, and you've been running your, a lot of your cinemas, haven't you?
2: No, unfortunately not. We were doing... we were. Now we were doing great until uh, December, and then everything closed down. Basically, we've had a few cinemas in Norway running, right. but then Sweden has been completely shut down. Um, we, we we have some experience from the first round of being shut down back I don't know, last year in spring, and pretty much everything worked. I think the only real issues we had were, was with some old Dolby processors, some processors, some some old CV650s, uh, but but they all died last time, so they've been replaced now. I, I, I'm not super worried um, you're right about the building maintenance because I've been to a couple of our cinemas and the uh, the restrooms do not smell the way they used to someone needs to go take a look at them before we open up again because uh, nothing has been used and everything has been still for a very long time in those buildings um, but we've had like HVAC been run sometimes as a test and so as the equipment I think we're okay I'm not so worried
0: yeah, I do, I do worry for some of the cinemas, some of the older cinemas that, you know, if you think about um, some of the very old cinemas that have got very high top box projection rooms that are effectively just a shed on a roof, um, you know, if, if those have been left like that over the winter and they've not been attended to with any TLC, then they're, they're really going to suffer uh, when when we come back to switch them on. So, um, you know, I'm um, We've had a couple of occasions where, you know, we've encountered something we didn't really like. Uh, not too many, uh, thankfully, but, you know, we, we're okay because we've been we've been open. Uh, we've been open, we've been closed, we've been open, we've been closed. Uh, but there are some out there that have decided that they, for whatever reason, uh, they didn't want to open at all. Um, and I do worry about those because, you know, if they've not been in and checking and leaving things on, which you know it's 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 hard. Um, then they're they're going to come back to a lot of projectors, servers, sound processors, everything uh, with condensation and you know rust and all sorts. Um, and the thing is as well, if they come in and they go right, we're in now, and we just switch everything on while everything's wet, um, then they're gonna they're gonna have a hell of a time because it's gonna. Everything's going to start sparking and um, you know blowing up, and I do I do worry about it.
1: I don't know if I, I don't know if other people's minds work this way, perhaps not. But as soon as you said that, turning them on while they're still damp, I just thought of mobile phones and making sure you put it in a grit in a, in a box of yeah. rice. Maybe we should just put a lot of rice. In of <laughs> yeah, just throw a load of rice for. all in the
0: projection room, yeah. Well, um,
1: but the other thing that I was thinking about, again, bringing the tone away from anything technological, was the fact that all of these cinemas have been closed for so long. What about the poor, poor mice? They've had no food.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Pest control. Pest control are going to be taking a beating here.
3: <laughs> we did have some very diabetic mice at one point, but we, uh, <laughs> we did get rid of them at the end. <laughs> they lived on Smarties and popcorn.
4: <laughs> one thing uh one thing I would say to you guys, as far as that goes, uh, you know, going back to the mid eighties um you know, I used to run a drive in theater as a manager and projectionist, and you know we closed it for the winter, we opened it up in April or May, and we closed it again in September or october, and it's the same kind of experience where when you open it in the spring, you pretty much have to go through from top to bottom, make sure your facilities are right, and make sure your projection and sound equipment's right. And ultimately, you know, because I'm more projection and sound, you really have to go through it and QC it um, as if it were new equipment and get the most out of it, replace anything that needs to be replaced. And I think for us, it's more important than ever. I think I touched on it earlier. Uh, If people get off their couch and uh, walk away from Netflix and, you know, my theater locally is the Odeon in Norwich. And if I go to that cinema and I see a bunch of things wrong or, you know, feel rats running across by feet. Or, you know, in India, they had problems with like snakes and, and monkeys getting into the cinemas and, 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 and mold and, and all kinds of things. But ultimately, you have to look at it as a new build or a new install. You have to say to yourself, this has got to be an experience that people will pay for and not just go back home and get back to Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I,
1: think I'd, I think I'd pay for a rerun of Indiana Jones if there were monkeys <laughs> and snakes in real life. I feel like that would be a really good immersive experience.
3: I have to say, I went in the other day and I couldn't find where the oil reservoir was in my digital projector anywhere. I can show you. Is it's right above
4: red? the light. Yeah, right above the light engine. Just pour uh, it in okay. the top.
3: You know, little and often.
1: Please don't do that, kids. Anyone listening, don't do little and
3: often. (laughs) Little and often.
0: What about things like screens? You know, will screens start to sag and you know lose their tension and things like that? I mean, should we be checking more than just the electrical elements?
2: But the screen will. will, Screen will start. They will do that anyway. I mean, that's just something that happens over time. That doesn't. I mean. Unless the temperature varies a lot in the room, that shouldn't be an issue.
0: Yeah, yeah, they will. They, they, uh, absolutely, they will. But, I mean, if we've left them like that in a cold environment over the whole winter without any warmth coming in uh, or very little warmth coming in, then surely that's going to e- escalate that process.
2: Should be. But then if you do that, then the seats will be in trouble as well. yeah
0: yeah they probably will, but I'm just thinking of of you know just checking the tension on your screen
4: I think my biggest fear really is that people are gonna go in say three days before opening and try and make it all right and they're gonna need more like two or three weeks
0: hmm. yeah I think you know from my experience would it's definitely been more than three days it's it's you know it's three four weeks um even doing things like dummy runs uh, where they're, you know, popping popcorn, they're serving drinks to the staff and things like that just to get back in and get all of the pipes flushed and, you know, everything chlorinated and getting everything so that it's basically as though we only closed the cinema yesterday. So there's a a lot of work going on, um, certainly in our organisation. I assume something similar will be happening everywhere, but um, it's still quite a lot to deal with um, because you're going to encounter things you're not used to encountering.
3: Yeah, I think one or two of the service companies did experience a sudden rush of uh, emergency calls and, uh, when we came out of the last lockdown. Things went bang.
0: No, exactly.
1: Well, this could be really good for manufacturers, couldn't it? you know if people are, are doing this it could be great for people that provide servers screens yeah. they they've
2: been starving because we haven't spent any money for quite some time so they have they, you should get a good price from them actually because they have all that stuff sitting on the shelves now waiting to go
0: yeah it's true but at the same time it's not like the whole cinema industry is completely flushed with cash at the moment because exactly they're not. all struggling so um, definitely not mm. i mean no one's Got a lot of cash at the moment, or very few. So, any more any more recommendations of what you should be doing?
4: Batteries and uh, you know stuff with the IMBs and the servers, the projectors, anything that has a, a trickle battery holding mm-hmm. the certificates. Uh, all of that stuff should be checked. Not not just that it's functioning, but check the dates on all of that. You know maybe it needs to be replaced in six months or a year, and you haven't thought about it for six months or a year, and it's due right now. So, you know, that's that's one of the things that I think will trip up a lot of people. They're going to turn on their projector and it's not going to find the projector and it's going to say, you know, you know waiting for a projector or something like that. Or they're going to press play on encrypted content and nothing's going to happen.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Hence why everybody, including you, Kevin, needs to test yeah. with that test film. With the test key, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think that if you still have if you still have content um that's encrypted on your server, I think that if you go to most distributors and say, "Look, do you mind if we use your content for an hour?" Mm-hmm. they'll probably give you a KDM if you ask nicely
3: yeah, I believe yeah m p s are plugged into one or two of them I think hmm.
1: I mean, at the end of the day, it's in all of our interests for this content to be playing properly,
0: so. So post COVID, um, you know something that Jan was discussing at the unic days, uh, which really struck a chord with me, um, was how do we keep the aging equipment operational, and how do we, how do we move away from the strategy of replacing all of our equipment as soon as we can, to how do we keep this equipment going for as long as we can, um, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's important that you know that. We, we haven't got a bottomless pit of money to just start replacing all of this ageing old equipment um, that really we want to start changing. Uh, so how, how do we do it? Jan, what, what was your learnings from the Unic day? Did anybody have any answers or uh,
2: was it a of? Oh. I think some good points came up in the discussion with the, uh, the that was a discussion with Baku and Christian and NEC. Um Some good points came up about spare parts that I wasn't aware about uh, that, that some of the um, so some of the spare parts that were built for the projectors that are now ten years old were based on circuitry that's no longer available from whatever supplier they used back then, which means that some spare parts may actually run out before we're done with using the projectors. Um, yeah. So that's definitely so, one thing that we need to be uh, be aware of.
0: Yeah. So I I heard that, and my immediate thought process was, well, was that not considered? When we when we made that equipment, I say we as an industry, rather than picking on anybody in particular. Um, did we did we not consider that you know when we were making the equipment ten years ago or eleven years ago, whenever it was? Because I seem to remember something in the DCI agreement that said that this equipment was needed and made it made to last uh, because of we, we were replacing thirty five millimeter equipment at the time, which obviously had a long life. Um, and the big there was a big worry uh, in the early days of um, replacing for digital equipment that was effectively going to become like your mobile phone, which is you use it for a few years and then you throw it away and buy a new one. We did, uh, and that we
2: did was with the, dismissed. Ones,
0: yeah. As, yeah, that was dismissed with, uh, with um, no. This equipment is built to last, and we need to make sure it lasts for a long time. Um, and particularly, there's a there's a new thing. Uh, come up in the EU recently called um, the Right to Repair Law or ACT,
4: yeah,
0: uh, which is about how domestic equipment like washing machines and um, anything with a plug on it basically that you use domestically, but washing machines and TVs need to be repairable in the home for up to 10 years and you need to have spare parts available. Um, and I'm thinking, well, how, how come we've not got something like that for cinema? Uh, And surely if it's 10 years for domestic products, why is it not longer for industrial products? Um, Because this is the fundamental equipment to our industry. Um, And, you know, it needs to be made to last. And I'm just thinking, how how do we make sure, how do we preserve that this is thought about for future equipment? Because otherwise it's going to be like a 10 year life cycle every time. And I don't know about you, but I don't really want to be in that world where it's just, you got to change every single piece of kit every 10 years. God,
2: no, I think, I think most likely uh, we, we will be running a lot of it longer. Definitely.
4: I think you have to, uh, if you're talking about now the future conversations, you really have to get it from the manufacturers and say, you know, how long do you plan to support this? And ideally get that in writing, uh, You know, I I mentioned my family in, in West Michigan, you know, we're servicing about 150 Series 1 Christie's that were installed, you know, years and years ago and they're still in operation today and you can still generally get parts for them. Every now and then things are tight, but they're still operational and they're still serviceable. Now I can name some other brands that you may be in the same generation that you can't get parts for and they're not support anymore. And, you know, it maybe haven't been for five years. And so I don't know if you can uh, put that in writing or get some sort of a guarantee where, say, if you reach a 10-year point and you're looking for parts for your projector and you cannot get them, then either they have to supply you with a new projector or some other accommodation financially or otherwise. But, you know, that's not really my position to to negotiate that kind of stuff. But, if you're going to create a mechanism by which you guarantee that your projector or any other equipment's going to last more than ten years, you have to work on it now for the future because it's too late for the past.
0: Hmm. Yeah, exactly. But as I say, I remember—I'm sure—I remember reading something in the DCI agreement that specifically referenced this. Um, I think I
4: was- it. I think it is in there. I don't remember the span of time, but uh, you know, I'll also tell you on the opposite side of that, I installed hundreds of projectors and a lot of. For people like Kevin or, you know, smaller operators that, uh, you know, they don't have a ton of money. And I told them the day we put in the projector, start saving for your next one. And if you get to the 10-year mark, you know, just go ahead and buy the next one. And if you get to the five-year mark and you've got that money in the bank and you start losing, you know, uh, an expensive part or something like that, you've got that money, kind of your own insurance policy. And so somewhere between that five and 10 year mark, you have to start thinking about replacement and ultimately using your own projector if you're in a multiplex situation for parts for the projector, you remain in service. And so there's a lot of reasons why you have to you know, think of it from about five different angles. And you know, I'm quite fortunate that I don't have to pull the trigger and make the decision on actually writing the checks on this kind of stuff. But You know, if you advise people, uh, it's hard to even be confident about what you're saying because, you know, I I think laser projection is a really good advancement for the future. But if you buy a laser projector that's got essentially a light source that's indefinite or at least into the future, what happens if you reach the four-year mark and that projector is no longer hitting light level? You basically have something that's so expensive that you're virtually at a new projector. So, you know, you have to think about uh, light sources and things like that. And I know there are a lot of options coming on the market, you know, for basically buying light and not necessarily buying projectors. So I think that that's all stuff we need to look at.
3: I have to say, uh, I mean, I've only got one site, so it's it's a bit different for me. But um, I'm just I'm looking at the life of the projector almost as as, um, the time of the finance, because it's now a cost that we have to incur to run. And once the finance is finished, then I can look around and maybe buy something else. Which, you know, it as someone who grew up with thirty-five millimeter it just took me a while to get the hang of. You know, we were running projectors when we'd switched that, you know, had been in since nineteen sixty five. So it was, you know, quite a quite a, a conceptual leap to make that actually now it cost me X thousand pounds a month to have my projectors. That's what it is. And when that when that when that finance is over, all the time they're running, that's fine. But I will perfectly accept that I may have to go out and get further finance when I replace them.
0: Just, just out of curiosity, just out of curiosity, Kevin, um, I don't want you to give me any numbers, obviously. But is it is it cheaper to you know put a little bit away a month for your future projection and sound system, well, projection and server systems, um, or was it cheaper to have a projectionist?
3: That's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I don't have a projectionist per se anymore. So no, no, yeah. It would be more expensive to put some away. Um, I just I, I think it's just a shift of the way you think about what your running costs are. Jan would obviously have a different answer to this because he's dealing with multiple, you know, many, many, many sites. So it's a big, big financial issue. Um, outlay if you suddenly decide well my finance is over and i'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm gonna replace all my projectors in in hundreds of screens but for me i just look at it as it's a cost but i don't i don't think um i'm putting money away no I, that's not the way my brain works unfortunately i just just um pay the finance all the time i can get the finance i'm, I'm happy you know maybe i should think like that i don't yeah, know yeah
0: but whether you're putting the money away for you know, for your future projection or you're paying off the finance to pay for the last one you just put in, um, you know, there's still a monthly outlay or a, you know a, an annual outlay.
3: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, COVID is going to have an effect here because pre-COVID, you know, we were easily meeting the payments for the projectors. It really wasn't an issue. It was quite easy to do that, um, and it wasn't you know an issue. It wasn't an issue at all. What we don't know is when we come, I mean, I'm pretty confident that when we come back eventually and sooner rather than later, we'll start to get back up to pre COVID levels, but you know, um, at the moment. So I'm imagining that the payments for the projectors, which I've got, I think mean, I've got two years on my current deal to go. So I will definitely be looking around for something else in two years time. It's just, but that's also part of my nature. I just want, you know, I want to try something else. Maybe that's why I'm not. Rich. I think,
2: I mean, we, we when we originally did the invest, investment in, in the full digitalization with VPF and all that stuff, by that time, those sites that we've been doing digital from the early days, we replaced some of the projectors. That would be like the third projector going in when we bought the new Series 2 projectors because everything happened fast and technology changed and stuff like that. So when we did those investments back then, we were like, Probably thinking, okay, so this is a 10 year span for the VPF deal. Most likely we will replace half of them before that's out anyway, because some kind of technological advance advance will make it necessary to replace it. But the truth is that we're now in a position where we are hoping to make a lot of the projectors that we bought back then run another 10 years, simply because there are no new advances that force us to replace the equipment. The equipment is still running as well as it did Pretty much as well as it did ten years ago, um, and we can keep them alive. I mean, it's only when when the uh, manufacturers do this thing where they where they where they um, set an end of life date on a product and stop supporting it because that's an issue. Because then you are running out of spare parts and you are running out of support. But it's only if the uh, manufacturers actually set these end of life dates. Otherwise, I really don't see an issue. Most of these projectors will keep running. They're not. That it's pretty much like thirty-five. They're not. It's ten years later. They're still as good as they were when they bought them. It's it's okay.
0: Yep. No, I, I wouldn't agree.
3: That's the important thing is that if you're if you're happy with their performance, there's absolutely no reason to change them. Of course, that that's true. Um, absolutely. but I this- I kind of I kind of got, got waylaid into the land of four K is what happened to me. I kind of thought four K was going to be the greatest thing ever, and actually. Uh, that's a different discussion for a different podcast but you know whether I, I, I like it but whether the public can see a difference is, is another another thing entirely and that's, that's probably a different discussion for a different
0: day We've, we've already had that discussion <laughs> Have we?
3: Oh, I was probably drunk so I don't remember <laughs> uh, um, uh, What I mean is that I would be keen to if the technology was improving that's why I would spend the money that's mainly what it is. And I assume we're all pretty much the same on that, you know, and even you might, would be the same. If you, if you, if, if, the, if there was a sudden leap forward in the technology, you would want to have that in your cinema. Too.
0: If, if it was desired by the guests. Yeah. If it was desired by consumers. Yeah. But, but you know, otherwise you start getting into a HFR argument, you know, and yeah. Um, you know, not everybody likes HFR. In fact, few do. Oh. So,
3: uh, We've had this, um, unique opportunity having been away from cinema for a long time to actually experience cinema in the way that a lot of people experience it they sit there and they go oh this is good isn't it because we're kind of very used to seeing it so it becomes you know every day for us but actually you know the first time I in the last lockdown when I went in and I put something on our big screen in scope and, you know, 7.1 and na-di-da. And I'm thinking, and actually tears came to my eyes because it was, oh, my God, this is what we've been missing all this time. Look, it's how, look how wonderful it is. How much better than freaking telly at home it is. <laughs> you know, it, it yeah, I mean, I don't know what point I'm making, but it's it's actually, you know, the point is that we sometimes can be a bit, not, not complacent is the wrong word, but we're just used to it. So we don't see it the way our customers see it, and actually, yeah, this that's lockdown, obviously it's oddly given us that 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 opportunity, rather that brief window to see. Oh my God, this is brilliant!
0: <laughs> Cinema of the year two thousand and eighteen, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Yeah, but I know. I think it's important to bear that in mind. I really do.
0: Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Sometimes you can forget how good we are.
3: Yeah. Yes. No. Absolutely. <laughs>
4: No, it's, it's, yeah, good. Do. Oh,
2: it's, it, it's a really good point because if you do things right, if you do everything right, then we are really good and we are much better than you get at home. So it's, it's a good point. But you do need to do it right. Yeah. You do need to get the yeah. sound and the image right. That's...
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so it going just briefly going back to the, uh, the lifecycle thing, uh, is this more of an issue for servers than it is for projectors?
4: any electronic parts, uh, any, any chips that can can go out of production and impact your whatever product it may be. Um, I think servers may be vulnerable, but projectors probably have more parts and maybe are even more vulnerable in some ways.
2: Yeah, more, more spare parts for the projectors. Interestingly with the servers, actually, I, I do remember the discussions back when DCI was made that, the uh, at least when the discussions about MPF was made, that uh, the experience expected lifetime uh, of, a, of a server would be something like five years, so everybody would be expecting the projectors to at least run 10 years, but the servers would most likely have to be replaced after five, because normally, if you have servers running all the time, replace them after five years. It's sort of a normal life cycle for servers, but hands up, anyone who has Doremi's running that is 12 years old on the same disks that they came with, I mean, these these cinema servers are like, they just keep running. It's it's really amazing actually, and it's not. I mean, no anyone who does enterprise servers in any other circumstances would have replaced their servers twice uh, in the meantime while we're still running. Well, the these drives
0: stores. do the 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 drives yeah. keep running. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But there's there's other parts of the of the servers that are not. Um. You know, there's the dolphin the dolphin boards are not always available, and there's the motherboards that are are now no longer compatible with the. Um, newer dolphin boards and things like that so there's there's other things apart from the drives i mean if it's if they you're right you're absolutely right there are still a lot out there that are running quite well i don't know how happy they are but they're definitely running um and they're they're working for us and everything but there's there's a few when they do go uh it can be it can be a bit painful uh if you're trying to fix it rather than replace it that is I remember the the sound processors for Dolby being available for pretty long time. You know, fi- around fifteen years. Some of them.
2: But they have. said yeah, I can't five
0: get days parts my CP fifty anymore. I
3: have some. If you want. CP fifty five. <laughs> no, no, I was joking. I haven't got.
0: Yeah, we have some.
2: We have some as well. We
0: <laughs> have some. I actually looked on eBay. I looked on eBay earlier on to see if you could buy any of these parts on eBay, and you, I saw a few CP55s on eBay and a few CP650s. Right.
2: What was the price like?
4: We've here. got a few theaters. Yeah. We've got a few theaters running film uh, through a CP200 processor and then feeding into uh, an innovation processor, one of ours, and mm-hmm. you know that's that's the case with Panastereo and some others too. Uh, you know, it's you can't count some of these companies out as far as well-designed equipment lasting for many years. And in the film days, if you told somebody you were buying something that was going to be no good in five years, you would have got laughed out of the building. Absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah absolutely. That's my agree. bad
3: joke yeah. about still running some CP50s, which I'm not. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm old enough. I, I, am I the am I the only person here that's run a CP50? Obviously not.
2: Oh, I've no, installed no, no, them no. before, right? <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> I've worked on a CP45 and a 55 and a 65, right. not okay. not a 50.
3: Yeah, well, they were kind of the first integrated right.
4: processor, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. I didn't uh, I didn't mention it, but I used to work for what you guys know as Showcase in the United States, and we had two CP200s and a bunch of CP55s in a ten screen theater. And that was our gear from the day we opened to the day the bulldozers got it.
0: So. Wow. I'm almost scared to ask what you refer to them as. <laughs> <laughs> fifty
3: five was all right. Fifty five and sixty five, they were all right. I always maintain and I you know, the sixty five and the D A twenty was the best sounding sound system I ever had.
4: Yeah, we had we yeah. had that as well.
3: Mm.
0: Cool. Okay. Well, we're going to go on now. Um, we're going to go on to uh, something else. Uh, why not? Is there a genuine future for eSports in the cinema of tomorrow? I can see some grimaces already. <laughs>
1: I would say it's really, really silly not to be open to that idea as a millennial. Um, that. You know, I feel like it is, if you look at millennials and Gen Z right now, the way that we've been brought up and the things that we, um, you know, especially as children, um, the the focus is very much away from going outside and playing until the lights come on. Um, And now people play against each other online and the internet has made that available. And that is, uh, there was actually an article not long ago in the UK press that said that children playing games against their friends on their devices, they saw that as exercise, Uh, which I thought was absolutely insane. But if that is your main way of socializing, then so be it. Um, So I think that although it might not be favorable to many people currently in the industry, I think it would be silly and basically throwing your money down the toilet if you did not entertain the idea of having esports in your cinema?
4: Something you really have to consider, though, when you talk about that is uh, equipment obsolescence. Um, You know, you have to make the right decisions or else you'll have a bunch of unused equipment. So you really have to have some people that are deeply into it to tell you what to buy, how to implement it, and also give you a schedule of, you know, when the next game comes along or the next console comes along, you have to be ready to reinvest everything you've invested in the first place to replace it all
3: are well, we not talking about watching watching people play rather than actually actively playing
1: i, I was going down the the line of both because right. i think it can be quite a locally driven experience uh, whereby you can tailor it to the environment in which you're in so if you have uh say you live in a small town and they all want to do a fifa tournament or you know or it, it allows uh like local Content and local people to come through into those arenas, okay. um, and it gives them a bit more of a voice. Game. Um, so, no, <laughs> no, no, but I am. Like no like, I Very, very, very good. Go, me. <laughs> but it, it, you know, and and luckily, uh, uh, to Mike uh, Babs' point, um, luckily the Asian territories are already ahead of us on this, so we can kind of take some knowledge from them as to what they're using, how they're set up, and how they deal with it. I know that cine packs are massive in eSports, um, so you know it's quite nice not being the first, isn't it, in that respect?
4: Mm. There are definitely going to be business models out there uh, if, you, if you want to copy people.
2: I can share our experiences for the past three or four years of doing eSports because we've been doing it uh, in different ways and in different venues and different models over the past three years, trying to experiment to find a way that works uh, the best possible. So there are some upsides and there are some downsides to doing esports and cinema. The upsides are that if you get the right events as a viewing party uh, and if you set it up correctly, if if you have all the technical stuff in place to make it work properly, you get an amazing event that, that fortunately often takes place at night when you're not showing anything anyway because a lot of the competitions are taking place elsewhere in the world. Uh, at least for Europeans, that works that way. That, that's a very good solution. You will sell a lot of Coca-Cola and, and, and a lot of Red Bull um, at these events, and you will have an incredible atmosphere in the room. You, you can have. We have had like 900 people for some of the Counter-Strike or whatever else of these tournaments that we've been showing in cinemas. That's, that's the upside. There is a price to it. So that the equipment has to be okay. We invested in a lot of super high-end gaming PCs to be able to do this, to be able to get the quality right when you're doing it, because there's no compromise on quality here, because if the guys going to these events have the perfect equipment at home, and if you're not doing it right, they're not coming back. It's not happening again. The downside to this is, is a lot about the business. Um, it's... The whole e-sport business is very disorganized. And the organizers of the different running competitions are ranging from super professional like ESL to very, very unprofessional in the other end of the spectrum. And you never really know what you get. And buying rights for these events, which is the prerequisite to even doing this, is super difficult because the negotiations are nobody knows who you're going to talk to. And the deals you're going to get are very sort of different. A good example was that we wanted to do the unofficial world championship of uh, Fortnite last year. uh, When that was, uh, uh, sorry, the year before when that was up, that was in 19. Um, Nobody knew who arranged it or who to buy the rights from. We finally found out some guy in Berlin were actually handling Europe. And we got the event from him. And the royalty we had to pay on the tickets to them were 0%. It was all free we got them. i mean we, we could sell whatever tickets we wanted and we sold out a lot of events and that was a huge success but in other cases you know they take a high percentage or they are in some cases you can't book the event until like two weeks before the actual event is going on which means you can't do pre-sale it's a super difficult uh, business to go into you have to be prepared to to uh to be very sort of agile in how you handle it. And my advice is definitely to do something like what we did, hire some gamers to help you with the equipment and the contacts in the business because you can't help them handle it yourself.
0: That's very interesting. That's really, really, really interesting that. Yeah, to uh, actually get people who know what they're doing, know what they're talking about and know
4: what to expect. Yeah. So maybe there's an opportunity for a third party to go uh, package it and offer it to cinemas as kind of like a, a rental room. Oh
2: yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, like a turnkey solution type thing.
3: But what sort mm. of equipment do they need? I mean, they're not so as I because being an old git, so they're not um, watching games, which is what I I understood. Like, you know, there's tournaments and things like that. So these people are actually engaging in the games themselves. You know, Tony's laughing at me like I'm some old.
0: old...
4: <laughs> we need red. We've, we've established <laughs> it. We've, we've established
0: 40. it. They need Red Bull. They oh, need right. Red okay. Bull. Yeah.
3: They need okay, <laughs> but the equipment itself. What? How are they engaging <laughs> with the with the with the with the game? I, I thought they were watching tournaments. And no, we we think it's both. both. Yeah, it's right. both.
2: we only did viewing parties. We've only done the viewing parties where you basically go and watch the competitions, like you would go watch football or whatever. Um, we haven't done
0: things where people actually play in the cinema. Yeah, and that, and I think that's that's the because I thought, what? Well, why would you go and watch someone play a game?
3: But, oh, you know, they I,
0: will. I, no, I know. Yeah, I know.
1: that's that's because you're too. You're you're not of the age. No, I know. You're not. Of I know.
0: The age. I was going to say. I, I spoke to my lad, who's you know 15, and he and he was saying, you know, of course I'd go and watch it. I said, but why would you not just play it? And he said, "Well, why don't you just go and play football? Why do you watch football?" <laughs> That's a good answer. And and I just sh- <laughs> and I just sh- shut up straight away.
3: <laughs> well, especially if it's Liverpool, yeah.
0: Oh, I, well, God! <laughs> God. I knew that was going to come up. <laughs> um, uh,
3: yeah. No, I mean, yeah. Anything we could do, really.
0: Take Umbridge to that Liverpool comment. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, a I'm
3: a Brighton bit. fan. We're, we're fighting for our lives at the bottom of the table. But you yeah, go.
0: you be all right. Yeah.
3: I,
1: I think just to add to the point um, of why I think it's personally a good idea to embrace, um, is that it also, like, you, you can watch the professionals and hear the professionals speaking and you can feel close to them and you can feel close to other people that are watching the same event internationally. And I think, I think it's different to like a football match where everyone is watching it internationally. I'm not sure why, but I just, I feel like uh, you would feel closer to the people that were involved in it. If you were like in this dark room with other Mm like-minded folk, as opposed to watching it, you know, a football game in a pub or whatever. For me, it just, You know, if I was watching Tony Hawk play Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, that's how old I am, um, I I would just be so excited about that. And (laughs) Mm. I I don't know. I just think it's such a good idea. And I really, really hope that this the disorganisation of it all that Jan said, which I had no idea about, I just hope that that is a teething issue. And I hope that they come to some sort of, you know, sensible way of dealing with this, Um, because I think it's a missed opportunity for both cinema exhibition who might well not want to choose to show studio content Mm -hmm. in the coming years for various Mm -hmm. reasons (laughs) Um, so I think it would be a real shame for them but also the esports you know it's a perfect opportunity for esports to also expand and grow and have premium um, ticket you know revenues as well as as well as the cinemas themselves I think it's a banging idea. It's the same
3: theory effectively as event cinema isn't it? It's another thing that we can do which doesn't mean that we have to rely on studio content for cinemas.
0: Yeah. Um, can just, I just ask it, a question the, though? Is it not always on at two o'clock in the morning?
1: It varies. It varies very much
2: depending. Not on, always depends where you are in the world, doesn't it? Yeah, and okay. it depends on where the competition is. A lot of the big, uh, like especially the Counter Strike, go a lot of the big competitions are in Europe, Sweden, Poland, uh, different places. So that would be the same. Time zone as Europe, but uh, some of the, um, like typically League of Legends that we did, like a big competition of League of Legends. That was like five hours running from midnight until five in the morning, and 900 people in a room screaming for five hours and drinking Coca Cola. Absolutely nothing wrong with yeah. doing that. That's perfectly brilliant way of using your cinema. Um, uh, um,
0: There's everything right with doing that, frankly. I mean, any anything <laughs> that creates that kind of atmosphere in an auditorium, it should absolutely be amazing. you know, embraced.
1: No, I was just going to draw a parallel with um National Football League. So I um, I watch the NFL, the US sport, and I am happily awake from 11pm till 4am on a Sunday so that I can watch all of the games. You know, it's, it's if you're passionate about it, you're going to go and pay for the ticket and you're going to go and watch it. That's simple as that you're not are you not at
0: home watching that though
1: um not when i was in london in the bars no all oh,
0: right okay <laughs> i'm not i'm not saying there's anything wrong with this i'm just trying to play devil's advocate to understand why not everybody's doing it that's all
1: but it does
2: it does take it it takes work it takes work and contacts and and money and and and, and some patience to get it right oh, definitely
1: I, I think if you look at event, event cinema, when the event cinema started, that was a bit of a show as well. Um, yeah. Well, it's, it it's took a while bad. for
0: it to really get honed and and stick. Well, it didn't take a long time, but it took a little bit of time to, for it to storm and norm.
3: Yeah, we were right at the beginning of event cinema, and it was always a big thing for us from the off, so... You know, we've done. I think we've done every NT live there is from Federal onwards, and uh, you know, we were right at the beginning of the Met. We we piggybacked onto Picture House and um, did the Met right from the beginning. But you know, this this is going to be in reasonably large urban areas, isn't it? I mean, small towns like mine, I can't imagine we're going to fill up with League of Legends. Although it might be worth a go, I don't know. I
1: think small towns like yours it's more of a private hire situation yeah, a bit, it's yeah. a on you know someone might well there'll be a group of kids that play together mm. and are really interested in it and if they know that it's an option to hire out your small screen mm. to watch this then it's a, yeah it's one of those situations whereas yeah if you're in a big urban center perhaps you can mm. just assume that people are going to join
3: but you know event cinema for us you know we fill three screens at a time mm. <laughs> it's that because that's the kind of audience that we have but
0: yeah, yeah. no many do many do Mm, mm, mm. yeah.
3: Andre Ryu. Andre Ryu. Oh,
0: God. Riru, we... Riru, Riru, Riru. Oh,
2: Lord, have mercy. We have that like two or, two, two or three it's times a year in our cinema self satellite. It's, <laughs> Funny, but people buy a lot of tickets for it. They love it. People love it.
1: Yeah. He's got fantastic um, hair. What's such lustrous
4: <laughs> He's got fantastic Everybody's hair. Everybody's
0: got fantastic, fantastic that. hair at the moment. <laughs>
2: I mean, I find everybody
0: has fantastic hair as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, this is last orders. Um, we are uh, we've reached the end or near the end. Um we have we have twenty minutes, I believe, before we get kicked out. Is that the rule now? Um so I'm gonna I'm gonna go quickly round to everybody to see if they've got anything burning they want to say before we get kicked out of the pub. Um so I'm gonna I'm gonna start in reverse order. So um Tony's on my right, so I'll start with Tony. Anything?
1: I have nothing for you. No, nothing.
0: Nothing at all. Okay, and then I go over to Mike?
4: Uh, I would just say, uh, you know, kind of from my point of view as uh, an equipment provider, um, it's kind of skewed, but I I would say we can't let go of advancing the technology and making things better just because nobody has any money. Because I think if we kind of pack it in and just say, well, we'll get by with everything that we have right now, uh, for the next two or three years, uh, I think people could gradually start to move away and do other things and, uh, maybe not be wild by cinema. You know, I can, I can go back to my experiences early in cinema when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, seeing like sold out shows of brand new comedies with four or 500 people, and it just can't be duplicated in the home. So, uh, you know, we, we have to do it right to begin with, but we also have to look at how to do it better or even the cinemas that aren't doing it right now, how to get to that point.
0: Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Jan, you're next on my list. Anything?
2: It's mm. a bit intimidating, I, I I'll to. have
0: to say. You're next, man. Like, <laughs> you're next. Who
2: do you want to, who do you want to <laughs> trash? What do you want to do, Jan? I'm coming
0: after <laughs> you.
1: <laughs> I would okay. So here's 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 one. Your side note: Your next was a brilliant film.
0: It is.
4: <laughs> here's a pet peeve. Like, Sorry, mate.
1: I I
2: know. Cool. I would like. I would like for the people that mix. Uh, I would like the sound mixers to be a bit more aggressive and creative when they're doing immersive sound. I'm tired of investing money in in Dolby Atmos cinemas and and in immersive sound and getting. Um, an adventurous sound mixes for a lot of movies that would have been more interesting if the sound had been mixed more creatively. And it's all down to the fact that they do it because they have to and they don't they don't have enough time and enough money to do it right. But if they don't want to do it right, then why should we pay to do it right in the cinema? For God's sakes, come on, let, let, let people know that we, we did some advances here, we did some investments in, in, in a sound system that gives people a little bit more or actually a lot more if you do it right, then come out and, and use it properly so we actually give people a better experience at the cinema. I'm not saying that it, that's the only way to give people a better experience, but it is something that we try to do and it's something we invest in. So so stop, stop making it... It's like 3D in the beginning. It was great when they came up with the first 3D titles and then everybody got complacent and started doing posts on 3D and it just ended up killing 3D. I mean, this is a great opportunity to to make the movies more interesting and more engaging. So use it. Don't don't just make a simple mix. Make a mix of the sound that makes our cinema sound interesting, because we put in the effort to to um, to allow for that. That was my round.
0: Super. No, well done. Appreciate that. Very very well done. Very well said, Kevin. Kevin, cinema of the year, 2018.
3: 2018, and for the future. And uh, for the future. I'm just trying to think, really, what my... I mean, actually, most of the time, my team are trying to stop me spending money. So, uh, you know, it's kind of... i You know, I'm now very excited by Mike's real-time alignment, I have to say, which means <laughs> I'm going to go... I'm going to go in and I can, you know, to see what I can do. But these are, uh, yeah, I think uh, just I don't have any other business other than um, I'm always curious and I want to make everything better all the time. And, um, yeah, and uh, maybe, maybe. but what was the point? Sorry, I'm blathering like an idiot. Um, there was something I did need to say about that, but it's completely gone out of my head. Um you check know, his I'll, liver yeah check my liver please <laughs> okay. what okay okay here we go this is the point this is the point and particularly if you're in business and you're in cinema's and actually in life <laughs> at the risk of sounding too too grandiose beware the dark forces of conservatism and i mean with a small z because people will always tell you that you shouldn't spend the money on that and that no one will know the difference and that actually, you know, the small stuff is really important. Sweat the small stuff. I know they tell you not to sweat the small stuff, but actually sweat the small stuff and that's really, really important. And that's what sets a lot of cinemas and a lot of chains apart is that they're the ones that look at the minutiae. Is that a bit preachy? Sorry.
0: <laughs> it's not so bad after a few wines. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, yeah. it's
2: it's a little
1: I think it's great. Yeah. I think advice generally is well, advice for me in the last sort of year has been pay attention yeah. to the small things because they can turn into yeah. big things well, if you don't look after
3: and, them. And and that's been the secret of my marriage.
0: Yeah. <laughs> A few wines.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the
3: little things, yeah. But yeah. yeah. But um yeah. You're going to have to edit around my blathering, but that's my any other business. But actually, while we've been closed, it's kind of easy to forget a bit. But actually, now I'm, you know, having sat here tonight listening to everybody, I'm really keen to get back in and make it a really good experience again. You know, I agree.
0: I agree. Um, I don't really have much to say at all, other than you know to to echo uh, Kevin's um, thoughts. You know, I think. A lot of the industry has been basically doing what we're doing now and they've been sat on their behinds for the last 12 months doing Zoom calls. Um, and I think the next 12 months need to be actually getting out there and making sure that the cinemas are as fantastic as they can possibly be once we can go yeah. back in. Yeah. Um, you know, let's let's really get off our behinds and make it happen um, because it's so important. Um, you know, we, we, we've got to make that differential Between home and cinema, uh, more than ever. Yes. Um, So, without a doubt,
2: yeah, this could be the most important uh, next twelve months in the history of cinema, or at least in the recent history of cinema.
0: I agree. I absolutely agree. As much as the last twelve months was also bad, the next twelve months is important.
3: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's going to up their game for the next twelve months.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No one should take their eye off the ball. Uh, okay, so that's that's pretty much um, the end. I'm just going to mention the free community membership. Uh, so go over to cinematechnology.com and uh, you know join up, sign up. Um, it's a free membership at the moment. I'm not quite sure how long it will be free for, uh, but it's free for the foreseeable future at least. So uh, so that's it for, for this time. Thanks for, for coming to us in the pub, in the virtual pub. Uh, it's great to see you all. We can actually see you this time. We, we can't normally. Um, so, so thank you very much. So f- from all of us botched to all you bungled cats out there, we, we love you all. We hope you're staying safe in these troubled times. Uh, we're nearly out of it, so stay vigilant. Uh, and when cinemas do reopen in the UK on the 17th of May, I'll be there as i'm I'll, I'll be there and stretched out in my lovely cinema recliner and i'll be thinking thank god i'm me